Our character for this morning is Josiah, as it says up there on the presentation. There are two chapters dedicated to him in both recordings of the kings of, of uh, Israel and Judah, but uh, we will spend a little bit of time, I think, in both. Both um, parts, especially in Chronicles, goes in great detail of the events of his life and what happened. And that's what we're going to go for when we pull out some practical application. Kings really um, focuses in on what exactly his actions were as far as cleaning out the temple and restoring the land uh, from the corruption of idolatry and where it's actually been. Josiah is, as was mentioned, uh, the last uh, good king, as it were, of Israel, not shortly after this, really his sons and those relatives of his are those who are then deported. So it's not long after that the sovereign nation of Judah, well, Israel now has been gone, right, for a few years, as we're going to look at in our graph of the kings, but Judah soon will be gone in exile. And really that is the state up until this point, even though they are as a nation, but as a collective, uh, there's not uh, there's not a collective, there's not a king, uh, not until the uh, till the the um, the son of David, right? The Lord Jesus Christ comes back and establishes that kingdom. So this really is the uh, the turning point up until we see today what is the the, the state of Israel. But um, it is a very fascinating character. This this uh, young man is. He's a child when we were introduced to him. He's not that old when he dies. And um, it's really fascinating to see him because even when you compare him to David, there are things said about him that are not said of David. The fact that he stayed on the course, he did not turn right to the left is, is truly amazing that it would attribute that to one person. But uh, he did not live that long. Uh, he only reigned for 31 years and he he died at 39, but we also hopefully we'll get to look at that. So we are going to look at Josiah. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, uh, in total, four chapters dedicated to him. But we will not go through verse by verse. We will like to read some of them. But we're going to look at this man, uh, Josiah. Now, I'm going to read the first verse, but I want to make a couple of, and this is in, in 2 Kings 22, if you're with me. Uh, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jedidiah, the daughter of uh, Adilah of Bosphora. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, this, I mean, when I look at this, I mean, when you think of the kings of Israel, if you have any kind of history of it, you also, you see this a lot where there's a boy who they name king. Now, to me, that's, that's strange. You know, eight years old. I mean, what is an eight-year-old going to do for a nation? I mean, where's, I mean, especially think of the political scene today. You know, we, we wouldn't even in this country without some kind of like maybe coming up through the Senate, some kind of political history to say, well, now we're going to commit this person or we trust this person to lead this nation. What is an eight-year-old going to be able to do? And he's not even the youngest. I think Josiah, uh, Joash was seven when he became king. Seven. Now, whether, you know, in Joash's case, there was a, high, there was a priest who was guiding him. 
Jehoiada, and he obviously was guiding the, the, the young man. But Josiah, nothing's really said of this. And if you think of the political situation here in Judah, um, just before his father, there was an assassination. He's gone. Before that, I think up until this point, there hasn't been any kind of uh, deportation, but the king was deported to another country. Can you imagine that? What was the political scene in this time? It was chaos. And so this young um, kid comes of age, and, and now he's anointed king. But it says this, and we're going to jump over to... Um, now, we'll, we'll keep reading here for now. But it says this at a young age... And in, in, in Second Chronicles, it says that he began to seek the Lord. And so from the beginning, Josiah's reign would be dictated that he, would sought, he sought out the Lord in what he did. And in verse 3, it says this. And it says, in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king of Shaphan, uh, the king set Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought up into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given to the hand of the workmen uh, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let it be given into the uh, let it give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber, quarry stone, repairing the house, but no accounting shall be given to them for the money. For delivered into the hand, for they deal deal honestly. And so, up until this point, you may have to click the presentation, Josiah. Uh, not Josiah, <laughs> Daleth. Um, up until this point, the the temple has in disrepair. So really, and when you think about it too, he finds something in the temple. If somebody can give him a hand there, um, up until this point, the temple has not been used. Now, this might come as a shock to you. This is the people of the Lord. This is the people of God. But he sends them in, and this has happened not in his time only. This has happened in Hezekiah and different people's time. But there's a, there's a revival. And they come back to where the center, where God's center of worship is. And, and he says, listen, go in there and repair it. Now, the house of the Lord was being used. We're going to about to find out. But it wasn't being used for the worship of the Lord. It was being used for other foreign worship. But he says, go in there and repair the temple. And they take a collection. Yeah, this is the line of kings I was mentioning. Um, the one on the right now, I wouldn't pay too much attention to the years. Um, if you'd like to, this is, I, I don't, I never study this out myself. I don't know how accurate that is. But I do like the fact that it lists the kings. So on the right, you'll find the kings of Israel uh, since the split. Between um, after King Solomon, uh, actually, yeah, during uh, after King Solomon, but during Rehoboam's time, there was a split of the kingdom. If you remember, um, there's Judah who followed after David, Judah and Benjamin. And on the right, which was the entire rest of the tribes of Israel, they followed after uh, a different king and Jeroboam and not even his descendants. Really, uh, it was best classified as a warlord type of, of nation because it was general after general assassination attempt assassination and eventually all the way down to Hosea and they went into captivity. Now this is that nation has gone into captivity by the time Josiah is reigning. It's been a few years 
that they've gone off. So their brothers and their sisters and their and their countrymen have all gone off. So now Judah's by himself, by himself, surrounded by people that are not too friendly with him. And Josiah at this time, instead of making alliances with different these nations, he says, you know what? Let's look internally. What is missing in this nation? Oh, the center of worship of our God has been in disrepair all this time. He says, go in there and clean it up, right? And look at what he finds here. Now, as I mentioned, what was, what was Josiah being guided by? And it's interesting when, he, when we find this, that what they found in the temple was the book of the law. So it wasn't that he was reading the, the law, because it was a surprise to him that it was found there. Even when the contents are revealed, what's in there, what the Lord has, has declared, and his um, diagnosis of what has happened was a surprise to Josiah. So he, maybe there was some um, priest, maybe there was some uh, good influences, or, or maybe the man just, you know, from the, the gods giving him an opportunity to respond, just responded. But in any case, when they go in to repair the temple, look at what they find here. It says in, in, in verse 8, it says, Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And so Hilkiah gave the book of, uh, to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, and your servants have emptied out the money and found the, in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen and who have the oversight of the temple of the Lord. And so and what they find as they're clearing out this temple, well, there it is, God's word, right? God, the book of the law and it was left there finding buried treasure, as it were, because they haven't, up until this point, right, they haven't really consulted with it. The, the kings up until, well, Hezekiah was a good king, but Manasseh reigned a very long time, 52 years, I think it was. Um, Ammon was not that long. So you're looking at 54 years of no counsel, no uh, uh, seeking after the Lord. And so you can understand how the temple now falls into disrepair. The book of the law is not being sought after. And what God has uh, said to them, well, we don't need it, right? And so they find the book of the law there. Um, the law then is read, or the book is read to Josiah. And we're going to skip down over to, in verse 14. And he sends the people who are his, uh, it looks like his little circle here of, of scribes and priests. But he sends them and finds out, well, what exactly does God going to do what he said in his book that's bad news for us look we've gone so far we're filing after idols and he says he's going to cast us off to the land well what exactly does god want us to do or what is he going to do and so he finds out from the uh what is the word of the lord so they go to a prophetess named holda and says this in 14 says Hilkiah the priest and and Ahikim and and akor and shaphan and aziah they went to uh, Hilda, uh, Hilda the prophetess and uh, the wife of Shalom and the son of Tigba uh, keeper of the wardrobe now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her and, and she said to them thus says the Lord the God of Israel tell the man who sent you to me thus says the Lord behold I am bringing disaster upon this place and upon the inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods and provoke me to anger and all the work of their hands. But therefore, the wrath will, uh, my wrath will be kindled against this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who 
sent you to inquire the Lord, thus says, um, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words which you heard, because your heart was, was uh, penitent and you humbled, humbled yourself before the Lord, when you now heard what I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants of the land, uh, that they should come to a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, and all, and I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I shall gather you to your fathers, and you shall like gather to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster which I bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. So God says this. This is going to happen anyways. Look at all those lines of kings. Very few are actually good. Uh, David's not even mentioned because this is before. And so David, you have David and you have a few different kings. There was a, a brief revival. But for the most part, they departed from following the Lord. And so Lord says, like, enough is enough. This is, he's, he's already prescribed this, that this is going to happen. If they're going to forsake me, I'm going to forsake you, right? That was the covenant that they entered into. If you want blessing in the land, you need to follow after me. They have forsaken that, and now God is going to cast them out. But before that, he says that Josiah will not see this. He's going to go into the grave in peace uh, because of his heart. And really, what we, when we get to the looking at the practical, really, Josiah's heart, and really for us, we need to look at this, is he's tender to the word of God. The word of God says something, his heart responds to it. Josiah, we didn't read it, but he tore his clothes. This was an act of, of, of sometimes of sadness, but of, of, of being cast down. And when he heard these words of law and everything that, that God has prescribed against this place. And, and you would think at this point, well, if it's all going away, well, why don't I just live as I want or just keep it status quo? It's not with this man. He takes it a step farther. And this is where it gets interesting because now we're going to look back at a prophecy that was given all the way back when Jeroboam in Israel years before that was given. Because Josiah is now going to make a sweeping change. He's going to do what we would call now spring cleaning, right? I don't know where that came from. But the idea of everything now is being gathered up and he's going to do away with it. All the evil, all the foreign worship, gone. Look at this in 23. It says this, And the king sent all the elders of Jerusalem, uh, uh, Judah and Jerusalem gathered him, and the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in the hearing the, books of, uh, the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before him, uh, before the Lord, to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart, with all their soul, and perform the words which are in the covenant, uh, which are written in the book, and all the people join in this covenant. Well, before that, he wants to lead the people in this direction, right? It's not just for him. He wants to lead these people to follow after the Lord. So he gets everybody together. And I mentioned something here. Sometimes you can just read all these words, but... And in Chronicles, it, it mentions this, but it says this, it stood by the pillar. Now, in the temple, there were two, uh, there were two pillars or, or, or um, poles. If you look at any kind of artist renditions, there was two poles that were leading in. Now, Solomon built these things, if you, if you remember, but there was bronze. He overlaid it with bronze, I think, on the top, the capital. But he called them two different names. One was Jachin, the other one was Boaz. Now, 
translating that Boaz into meaning something, there's, there's some disagreement, there's different opinions. But it's interesting, when you think of Jacob, it's the idea of commitment. Now, that's interesting because he's standing next to it and he says, now this is what we're going to do. So by it, he's, a, he's standing next to the pillar, which is the idea of commitment or establishment. And this is what he's talking to the people, right? He's saying that we're going to be established. We're going to follow after the Lord. And really, throughout his whole reign, they did, right? Up until the point he died, it seems like they went a different direction. But the man was, uh, did lead them in the right direction, and they joined in in this covenant. And so it says this in in verse 4. It says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple all the vessels made for Baal, Astra, and the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the field, uh, fields of Kidron and their ashes and carried their ashes to Bethel. Last week we looked at um, a king who brought in this worship. He wasn't the first, but he expounded it, what was done before. He took it a step further. And it it's just fat. I say it's fascinating is not a great word, but it's just amazing to think how far it's gone, right? It was at one point does mention this. Uh, it does mention this eventually. We're going to look at it, but Solomon set up worship, right? All the way back before there wasn't even split. Solomon introduced this kind of foreign worship, but he put it out in different places on this high place out here on this mountain over here. But now it's inside the center of worship. The God of heaven and earth, where he designed that they would come to worship and to meet with him, right, and bring their sacrifices, they brought in this form worship into his house. Not only that, look at this. And verse 5, And he disposed of the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the cities around Judah and around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal and to the sun and the moon and the constellations of the hosts of heaven. He brought out all the Asherah, from the house of the Lord outside uh, Jerusalem and to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and, be, and beat it to dust and cast the dust uh, upon it on the graves of the common people. And he broke down all the houses of male cult prostitutes, which were inside the house of the Lord and where the women uh, wove uh, hangings for Ashra. So not only that, the house of the Lord turned into for all tents of persons, a prostitution house. Can you imagine? Male cult prostitutes inside a perversion inside the house of the Lord. I mean, how is it possible that you can get that far, right? Well, it started somewhere small, right? Solomon set up high places. Well, high places were, were these, um, Andrew mentioned it last week, where there was a, a, it was a place of convenience to worship, right? There was a it was maybe a place where they saw something or something appeared when they designated it as a high place, the top of a mountain or some kind of special tree. And that's where they set up these worship. And it wasn't necessarily always bad. It wasn't necessarily a worship of a foreign god. They worshiped the Lord. Look at this. It, it does say this here eventually. He says he brought out the priests in verse 8 out of the house of Judah who defiled the high places where the priests made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. He broke down the high places of the gates where the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor's city, and the one who was left. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar uh, of the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread with their brothers. Look at there was worship going on to the Lord as well as the worship of these foreign gods. It wasn't just that 
They worshipped totally foreign uh, objects. They worshipped in a way that was not pleasing to the Lord, in their own way, and at these high places. And they even took the priests who were designated to worship in the temple where God has ordained, and they used those priests outside and say, well, what's the problem? They're worshiping the Lord. It wasn't the way that God directed them. And he did away with this. Now, this is significant because when you look at some of these kings, Amaziah, you look at Jehoshaphat, some of these kings, Joash for a time, they were good. But it says to the people, it always connects this with that, that the people still worshiped in the high places. And I think this is exactly what it was is that they still worshiped the Lord, but they still had those high places out there. And so if, if um, uh, Brian, um, who lives in uh, Jerusalem, wants to come and bring his, 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 um, his offering for the year, well, he can go to that high place right outside the governor's house in, in Joshua, right here where Joshua lived, and there was a high place there, and he can worship, or he can offer. And you know what? There was even a, a priest out there to, 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 to do the ritual. Well, that wasn't the way that God designated, right? There was supposed to be a central place. Really, it was the the tent, right, from the beginning when they were wandering through the tabernacle. Uh, David had in his heart to build the temple. Solomon completed that. And so now the temple is where the center of worship is. But they branched out for whatever reason. Maybe it was convenience. Maybe it was just too much to go up to the temple. I don't really know. Maybe there was a mix of, well, there was a mix of even heathen worship, and these were high places at the time of these people before them were at. But in any case, there were these high places. Jo- Josiah uh, got rid of those. He even got rid of the high, those priests that were uh, worshiping there. And so he does a clean sweep. And he says this in verse 10. He defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and that no one would burn their sons and daughters as an offering to Moloch. Now this... You know, anytime I read this now, whether, as Andrew brought out, whether it's because they're, they let their sons walk through the fire or get burned, um, there is some uh, talk about or they actually sacrifice their son. I mean, can you imagine it getting in that point? Um, I, first of all, I wouldn't want to be the one to do that, right, to give my son away to that. But um, to go in line and be okay with that, to watch somebody else burn their son or offer him up in an offering, I mean, it's terrible, right? It's terrible. But one thing you notice as we're going through all this, high places, Baal, Ashtaroth, burning your son. And what is, what, is the, what is the symptom of following after anything else besides the Lord? It's confusion, right? What is it that, you know, that's what the human being, and that's what they want, right? God is the one that fills that void in their life. But, you know, Baal doesn't do it for me anymore. Well, now I've got to go off to Ashtaroth. And now I have to go off at the host of heaven. That's not doing it for me anymore. And so that's what it is. Outside, Lord, people are just grabbing on whatever they can to fill that void. And that's exactly what you see here. Worshiping in high places, male cult prostitutes, all these things because they, they've gotten away from the one true God. Right? They're trying to fill that void with somebody else or something else that does not fill and it says this also down in, in verse 13. We'll jump down just a little bit. There's some more that he does, uh, breaking down some of the things that his, his, um, some of his fathers have done. But look at this in 13. I wanted to mention this since we did talk about it. And the king defiled the high places 
which were to the east of Jerusalem and the south in the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the abominations of Moab, and Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And he broke into pieces the altars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of the men. So this guy, not only does he clean up what's going on, he goes back to what, since Solomon, years, we're talking about, look at that, even if you take this as an example, you're looking at maybe 300 years of something that was out there on, uh, next to Jerusalem, an abomination that has not been dealt with up until this point. He breaks it down. And then verse 15. This is significant. It says this in verse 15. This is in 2 Kings 23. It says, Moreover, the altar of Baal, the high place erected by Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, the altar of the high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust, and he burned the Asherah. Now, this is significant. So not only does, does he clean up the land that he has direct control over, he goes into Israel. Now, Israel at this point is not, there are scattered individuals, but they have been removed from their land by Assyria. They have been deported to other places. And he goes back and he breaks down the, the foreign worship that's in this land. Why is this significant? Because all the way up at, on the right, as you see the first king there, Jeroboam, he was given a chance to, to, to rule Israel because of Solomon's disobedience. But he... Um, he went ahead and disregarded God's advice and went after uh, his own form of worship. Now, this is, this is significant because he sets up, among the things that he set up, the two golden calves, but he sets up an altar. And this is in 1 Kings 13. It says this. It says, Behold, and after this is already done, God has a word with him. He sends, the, uh, he sends a servant to go talk to this man, Jeroboam. It says in, in 1 Kings 13, it says, Behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. This is the altar that he made, his own form of worship. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord. And he says, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places to make offerings to you. And the human bones shall be burned on you. Now, that, that's, that's significant for many reasons. One, if I were God, I'd want to correct things right away. Look, they're not following after me. Let's get it done, right? Let's wash them off. Uh, let's bring in judgment right away. And let's start over. He didn't do that until this nation was not even there. They're not even there anymore. They're not even sovereign over their own country. They're gone. He gave them enough chance. Now, at this point, Josiah comes in all the way down here, right? Jeroboam is, is some... Hundreds of years before, Josiah now is coming in and taking away this altar. And look at what he does. Exactly what that prophecy said, that that man of God said. He burned the Asherah. And 16, Joshua turned to the tombs and on the mount. And he sent and took the bones from the tombs and burned them on the altar, defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God had proclaimed to predict uh, who had predicted these things. And then he said this to the mount, to the monument. He sees a little monument there, and he says, "The men of the city told him it is the tomb of the man of God, whom uh, who came from Judah and predicted these things, which you have done against the altar of Bethel." And he said, "Let uh, let him be, and let no man move his bones." 
and so and so on. And so Josiah does a clean sweep. Not only does he look in his own house and the house of the Lord, the temple, but he goes out and branches into Jerusalem. Not only that, he goes out into Judah and then he goes out into Israel. So everything that he had uh, direct control over, he makes a clean sweep and does away with it. And really, when we think about a good king, um, there's a sense of revival, too, here, right? There's a revival taken out. Remember the political situation. Your father at this time was was assassinated. I mean, there, there could be a lot of things. Can you imagine if that happened in this country? There, I don't know the checks and balances that would, would come into play, maybe vice president take over, but there's a lot of political turmoil when that happens. The king before him was deported, but he came back eventually, right, because of uh, his... His heart was uh, humbled. But can you imagine your king, the head of your government, taken out? And now this young man comes in, and he gets back, and he seeks after the Lord, and the Lord establishes him. But it says this. Let's jump down to 28, and then we're going to try to pull out some uh, practical applications of this man. But it says this, and it, I don't quite know how to, to say if this is a sin or it, it, it definitely is a poor decision on his on his part, and and if you would think if there's anybody here that would be able to 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 have a second chance, it would be this man, especially everything that he's ever done. But it was to the point, obviously, that he disobeyed the Lord, that the Lord allowed what he wanted to do, and the Lord was trying to pull him back, but he allowed him to go forward with it. And it says this: we're going to go to also to. Chronicles and read it. Some of it's the same um, words, but it adds a few more different um, narratives to it. So this is all the way in 28 in chapter 23. It says, now the rest of Josiah, the acts of Josiah, which he had did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, came out of, uh, came up, uh, went up to the king of Syria to the river Euphrates, and the king Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo. And as soon as he saw him and his servants carried him, uh, carried, uh, carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo. And they brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And then the people took his son and made him king. Now, over in Chronicles, this is in Second Chronicles. It adds a little bit more. It says this in Second Chronicles thirty-five twenty. It says, after this, Josiah prepared... The temp- After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, the king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the river Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But he, Pharaoh, sent envoys to him, and he says, What do we have to do with each other, king of Judah? I am not coming against you this day, but against the house of which I am at war with. And God, uh, and God has commanded me to hurry, see supposing God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah turned away, uh, did not turn away from him, and disguised himself in order to fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but he came to fight in the plain of Megiddo, and so on, and he was shot. My next little graphic, if uh, I guess we're just advance it, just um, Daleth, the right arrow. What we have here then is another is another battle, and there hasn't been in 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 Josiah's case, but some of the some of the the words are pretty interesting. If you think of another king who disguised himself to go to battle before, 
I mean, what does that make you think of? It makes you think of um, Ahaz, if you remember, king of Israel. He did the same thing, right, with Jehoshaphat. So what you have here, uh, this, I like these, seeing the little graphics and where these things are actually happening. Now, this particular person where I got this, um, this photo, he writes some little comments here. The one on the right where it says that Nico, what he planned to do was to help the Assyrians battle the Babylonians. Now, some people disagree that he actually went to go fight the Assyrians and help the Babylonians up in Carchemish. But regardless of the fact, he left his base down in Egypt at, it says here, at the Lord's command. He went up through, right, that's the land of Philistines, but he went up through there in all haste to go up to Carchemish. But what happened at Megiddo, now, whether... This is where it's a little confusing. I'm not quite sure why, but for some reason, Josiah decided to go out and meet him. Look, there's an army coming up. Look, right by my country where I have sovereign uh, control over, there's a huge army coming up next to me. Maybe he thought this was my chance to flex my muscles. muscles. Maybe he was in in league with the Babylonians. I don't know what it was, why he decided to go out and meet him. But it says this, that he disguised himself. It might have been, some have uh, commented, that he tried to set up an ambush for this guy. That he went to Megiddo to set up an ambush as this army was coming by. But in any case, it became a disastrous decision on his part. Because God did command uh, Nico to go up there and fight. Whatever it was to fight the Assyrians or fight the Babylonians, he did go up there on God's command. And God warned him through this this. Uh, This foreign king, don't go through with it. It says here that he did not listen to the voice of the Lord through Nico, and he paid for it with his life. He paid for it with his life. And you might think, well, that's a little unfair, right? Where's his second chance? Now, I'm not here to to decide, obviously I can't, what the Lord deems is the time for somebody to die or when is the time for judgment immediately or a time to give to give um, leniency, right, and mercy. But it must have been so grievous what he decided to do and hindering God's plan that God's had to, he let him go, right? And that happens in a person's life, right? We can push and push and push for something that is destructive, maybe some kind of uh, of behavior or some kind of choice, and God's trying to hold us back. Listen, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And we're feeling resistance and we, the thing that we want, and God's really trying to save us from something. But he let Josiah go, right? He warned him, but he let him go. Josiah still did not heed that warning, and he died at a young age of 39 years old, right? After all those years, right, at a young age, seeking after the Lord, cleaning house. I mean, unheard of. I mean, David didn't even have that opportunity to do that, but he obviously had the same heart as David. But to take everything, the established religion at that time, and to do away with it and get back with the Lord and get back to the Lord, but... He was, he was killed at a very young age. And it says this also in, in Chronicles. It says, Jeremiah, we haven't heard much from him, but he is, he, he's contributed much to the writings, right, of the Bible, at least the book of Jeremiah, Lamentation. But it says this, that Jeremiah in verse 25, same chapter, uttered a lament for Josiah, and all the singing men and women uh, spoke of Josiah and their laments to this day. And they made, uh, and they made these a rule in Israel, behold, they're written in the laments. Sometimes Jeremiah is, is, uh, is known as the weeping prophet. But Josiah was, had such a positive rule at this time that a godly man like Jeremiah would weep over him, right? 
What a poor decision at the end of his life that now he's snuffed out at a very young age, right? Can you imagine if he would have ended up going at least as far as some of his, his, his forefathers lived, right? 70, 75 years old. Um, David was somewhere around 70, right? If not seven years old. But Shia was eight years old when he began to reign. But in any case, um, it was a poor decision and he paid for it by his life and after this man has gone, right, Jerusalem, uh, Ju- Judah really plunges into decline. And Kings does mention this, um, that his son takes over. We're not going to really talk about him. That's for the next person if we do cover it. But um, after which, it's not long after. It's, um, he has a few more uh, sons, and they're disposed of. They don't, they don't rule very long, and eventually... The the king uh, the kingdom of Judah is then taken away for seventy years, right? And they're uh, exiled into Babylon, as God has said and God has uh, told them. And during Josiah's reign. Now, what I like to do, if you do it one more time, Josiah, uh, um, Daleth. Funny thing is, Daleth does has a brother named Josiah, so it's easy to mix up our character and his brother. So Daleth, you just do one more, if somebody can help him. Yeah, there you go. We want to look at this man because this is interesting because it says this of, of, um, of Josiah that he turned to Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Now, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating phrase because even in the Lord Jesus' day, some people came to test him. The Pharisees and the, and the scribes, they came and said, you know, what, what, what is the greatest commandment and to trip him up? Well, he says, no, you're to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind. Well, what exactly does that look like? Well, we have a living. He's not living now, but we have in our Bible an example for for us to follow. And what does it look like to turn to the Lord or to follow after the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might? So we're just going to pull out a couple of just events from his life and phrases from here, you already see them. I didn't really put them in, in some kind of a, uh, animation, so it's going to be no surprise what we're looking at. But it, we're, we're primarily going to be in, in Chronicles for this because it really details chronologically what happened at certain ages. And so we're going to look at 34. We're just going to look at this uh, in verse Second uh, Chronicles 34, and we're going to look in verse 3. It says this, For in the eighth year of his reign... Now, he's eight years old when he became king. So in the eighth year of his reign, he's now 16. When he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And we'll stop there. So at, a, at 16 years old, nothing said about him. He didn't go to some kind of school. He didn't pull in some kind of uh, maybe some kind of alliance to establish his, his rule, make his, uh, maybe some kind of marriage alliance like some of his fathers have done. But it says this, that he sought the Lord. Remember, the book of the law has been hidden up until this point, right? Not until they go into the temple to clean it out that they find it. So it doesn't necessarily say they consulted with it. But in any case, he sought out the God of his father, uh, of his father David, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so one of the first points of, of seeking after the Lord, turning to the Lord with all your soul, with all your heart, is to seek after him. Now, this is, this, is, this is fascinating when you think about it because the fact is that a God who's invisible, we have the ability to seek after him. 
It says that if you seek after me, he says, you can find, right? You, could, you will be able to find. Now, there's no kind of instrument that we're able to, to use to go after and find him. Well, how is it that we can seek after him? Well, we've got to consult with his word, right? We've got to consult with the things that God cares about, right? Or God has interest in. So this boy, Josiah, at 16 years old, seeks after the Lord. The second thing that he does, and, it, and this is really uh, at the very next um, verse here, in, in verse 3, it says this, and we did touch on this, but it says, after he begins to seek after the Lord in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the astro and the card images and the metal images. So the first thing after seeking out the Lord, he notices, wait, there's something wrong here. There's foreign worship out there. There are things that detract us from the one true God. And you know what it says? It doesn't say that he just pulled it aside, right, and put it up in his attic for another time. He smashed it to bits. He grinded it into powder. He did away with it. And really, that's how we need to approach those things that pull us away from the Lord. Not just, well... Let me just put it in my pocket for another time, right? It doesn't, it doesn't suit me right now. No, he stomped it. He, he got rid of it. He smashed it to bits. He grinded it into dust. He wanted nothing to do with it, right? He wanted it out of his mind, right? He knew, right, that there must have been some kind of attraction. I don't understand worshiping an idol and making my son pass through the fire. But event, there are idols that are very attractive to me, right, that can draw me away from the one true God. And the way to deal with it is... Violence, right? Get rid of it. Smash it. Grind it to dust. Purge. He purged all foreign worship out of his, really his life, but really out of where he had control over. There was no divided heart. He did not have a divided heart. He didn't have, well, I have my, I have the temple of the Lord, right? It's cleaned up. Well, I still have my high places out there for my, for my worship of convenience. No. He sought after the Lord, and he, put the, he followed after the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. And then the third thing, after, if you're going down chronologically, he repaired the temple of the Lord. He turned his attention to where God's dwelling was. Look at this in verse, this is in verse, um, same, same, uh, same chapter in verse 8. It says, in the 18th year of his reign. So now, um, at 16, he began to seek after the Lord, or at a very young age, right? So now he's, he's, he's still a young man, 26, but he begins to clean house. It says this in the 18th year, he began to cleanse the land of the house, and he sent Shaphan, and we already read this, that he sent out to repair the house. And so his next attention, right, he seeks after the Lord. Then he turns his attention to say, what is it that distracts me from worshiping the Lord? He does away with it. Now he turns back and he says, well, where's the center of worship? Where's God's dwelling? What is it that I can occupy my time with now that I purge myself of those foreign things that are distracting me? He turns himself now to the center where God's worship is, right? The temple, where God's dwelling is, where God decided to dwell there. And what is that for us? Well, what is, well we don't have a center of worship in the sense of a temple. There's no center that we can go out to to go worship. Well, where is it that God has his dwelling or where is it that God is interested in? Well, it's the church, right? He does dwell within us, but God's interest is the church. And there's many things that we can, we can turn to as far as uh, what we can do 
while we're here on earth. But since we're, we're going through Ephesians 4, I'm just going to read a verse from there. And, and look at this, what it says this. It says this in Ephesians 4. It says, when he ascended on high, he gave apostles. This is the Lord Jesus. He gave gifts to men. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. Listen to this. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the, building up the body of Christ, that we all might attain the unity of faith and, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and so on. And so God has equipped his Christians to build up the church, to equip the church, not to be looking in themselves, right? Not to waste their time or to satisfy themselves with idols, pleasures or whatnot, but to turn themselves to the temple, right? Where's God's interest in? What is God actively working in? And in the New Testament, in this day and age, right? God has equipped you as a Christian, right? For the equipping of the, of the saints, for the collective good of the Christian, of the church, not just for yourself. Now, is it possible for a Christian to pull themselves away from this? It is, right? God still has given you a will. You have a choice, right? But are you going to quench the Spirit, right? Or are you going to follow the Spirit's leading? And so he didn't give us, uh, right? We do, there, is, there is freedom right now as a, as a believer. But as Josiah given, uh, has given us an example, right, of following after the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, what, is it now, what does that mean in the New Testament, right? What does that mean to us now in this day and age? Well, God has given us a spiritual gift. There's many things we can go to, but I, since we're going through Ephesians, I thought this would be applicable here, is that God has given you a spiritual gift. And what does he expect or what has he given that for? It's to build up the church, right? Those who are around you. Be occupied with those who God has now brought into this church, right? Individuals from different walks of life. And not just that, it is to, to, be, to bring the gospel, right? This evening, we're, we're going to have the opportunity, opportunity, Lord willing, right? To go out to the world, right? And to, to, uh, to be a witness. And so not only that, right, is to, uh, to build up the, the church and to what's a gift that he's given you, but to spread the gospel, and so there are things that you can be occupied with, as Josiah did, right? He purged out those things now. He's done with those things that are distract. Well, now what do I fill my time with? The things that God is concerned about, right? The things where God is, God's dwelling. Uh, Joshua, it says this of, of him, great man of God, but it says this at a young age. It says that he did not depart from the house of the Lord. He didn't want to be anywhere else. He could have been out there practicing, right, shooting bows and arrows, whatever he needed to do, practicing from for uh, his battle skills, but where he spent his time was in the house of the Lord, right? He did not depart from it. And that was a man who was sold out for God's will, right? So how can we be sold out? How can we turn our heart, soul, and mind? What does that look like? Well, you're occupied, right, with the things of the Lord and with the place where God has dwell, is dwelling. And then, and then in, in, in verse 19, we'll end with this. We didn't read this verse, but um, I wanted to bring it in at this point. It says, this is after he heard the word, um, after he heard the words that were written in the book of the law. It says this uh, when they found it. It says that the king heard this words of the book of the law and he tore his clothes. He was tender to God's word. Now, God's word and what it says sometimes about our lives isn't always, is, isn't always easy to take. Because sometimes it, it pulls us right from those things that we find enjoyable. So that's not a place that you need to be. 
or that's not the right way, or this is, you know, and, and you think, well, man, God's trying to pull me back from something that I want. Remember Josiah? I don't know the reasons why. Maybe he wanted to flex his muscles, but he wanted something so badly and he ended up paying for it with his life. So who better to follow after my will or to what I think I need rather than to follow after what God says? Be tender to God's word, right? Sometimes it pushes us in a place that maybe we think we don't need to be, but it's exactly where we need to be when we think of that God is the one who knows better or knows what's best for our life. And when he hears these words, and, and this is significant because sometimes, and we think of even Jeroboam, we read him, when he heard the word of the Lord, what did he do? He says, get out of here. And that's typically the response. You're going to see it today if you go out there or if you ever open your mouth about the gospel. What is the world's response when they hear anything about Jesus? I don't want to hear nothing about that. Get away from me. Right? It's, it's very um, antagonistic, sometimes even violent. But Josiah's uh, response and really our response when we hear the word of the Lord or hear something or we're reading through our personal uh, um, devotions, right, is to be tender to what God has to say about our life. Sometimes it isn't. It isn't that um, pleasant because he's shaving off different areas. He's molding us into God's Im- into his son's image. And so just some four different points. There are many others that we can look at, but I thought that that would be nice for a nice um, for a good application for us is to what does it look like for a person to be sold out for all their heart, all their soul, all their might. Their direction is for the Lord. Well, what does it look like? They seek after the Lord. They, they get rid of those things that would detract from the worship of the Lord. Something that would pull my heart away, right? No divided heart. They're occupied with the, where God is occupied with. What is God interested in? Where is God's center of worship? And that's where, they, that's where their attention is. And they're tender to God's word. They're tender to what God has to say to them. They're not going to push it away or say, no, I'm going to deal with that at another time. They're tender to God's word. And so let's just close in a word of prayer and uh, we'll be done with our meeting. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these characters uh, that we read, Lord. And it is history, but these were real people that lived at this time. And so um, your spirit has designated these men of old to write this, this uh, account down of Josiah. And we just pray, Lord, that we would, um, as we read through it, and maybe as our personal devotions would take, it, uh, take us through, that we would um, apply these truths and, these, um, and these, uh, this, this testimony of this man of what it looks like to be sold out for your will and to be occupied with what you're occupied with. And so we just pray that you bring us home safely. We just pray for those uh, souls that today, if it be your will, to, to we run into at the beach. We just pray that we you would use us to spread your gospel. In the Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.